Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 497. My name is Minter Dial and I'm your host for this podcast, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. For more information or to check out other shows on the network, please visit evergreenpodcast.com. So this week's interview is with my old friend, Brenda Kiesel. Brenda's a writer, filmmaker, and digital storyteller based in Montreal. She's also the founder and creative director of The Village, a human and media platform, and an innovative model for interactive storytelling, transformative entertainment, and social impact, both online and in person. The Village offers deep experiences and profound connection through a live stream and curated network of human stories. In this conversation with Brenda, we discuss her career, including the award-winning film Wanker. Her blogging burns the fire. We explore her new project, The Village, of course, how it came about, what it entails, and how she shepherds the conversations and personal storytelling from people around the world. We also discuss the work that she's been doing for Ukraine Now, a decentralized organization launched by Artur Kulian. Plenty of inspiring stories and learnings. You'll find all the show notes on minterdial.com as usual. And please do go and drop in your rating and review. And don't forget to subscribe to catch all the future episodes. Hey, now for the show. Who'd have thought? Brenda Kiesel. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, that's that's got to be the shortest introduction I have ever done. Brenda, you've, you and I have known each other for... Well, nigh nearly two decades, I'd say, or probably two decades, actually. We met in sunny, cold, wonderful Montreal. And um, you are a kindred storyteller, writer, filmmaker. We have so many little things in common. Uh, and in your own words, who's Brenda? Ah. Uh. Well, on the best days, I am my middle name, which is Joy. And the older I get, the easier it is to let it flow, the easier it is for me to access it. The more I explore my freedom through joy. How does one shortcut the getting old piece? Because if someone's listening and they're young, what is it that allows us to lean into that joy, do you think, Brenda? And it's funny that I said joy, by the way, because normally I would say love. Um, hmm. What is a great question. What allows us to lean into the joy? I'd say working through our baggage and surrendering to life which doesn't mean being passive, means more allowing the things that you can't control and dancing as much as possible. <laughs> and singing mm -hmm. and, you know, smoking pot. A good combo. Um, so I, I was gonna start with um, your film that made, uh, let's say a notorious round famous round, infamous, the wanker. Um, wow. How, how, tell us about that film and, and what it did for you. 
Well, <clears throat> I'll tell you a little bit of backstory. Uh, first of all, it's called Wanker, and which was probably the easiest film to come up with taglines for. The first one was coming soon. Mm -hmm. uh, then Wanker, his life was in his hands. Um, so Wanker was born inside me when I was um, probably around 16, 17. And I made friends with someone who was culturally very, very different from me. He came from a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant background and sort of came with what I, you know, grew, grew to learn was some baggage around that or some cultural leanings. And we were both kind of fascinated with each other, me as a kind of, you know, um, very, very expressive Jew and him as a very sort of buttoned down wasp. And so um, one night he told me a story uh, about being at his parents for Thanksgiving. And it was a very buttoned down meal. And um, everybody was quiet. Nobody was really saying anything. Um, and in my mind, I started to hear the clinking of glasses and the clinking of cutlery. And he said that through the meal, he became so upset by what he felt was nothing happening, no one speaking, no one rubbing up against each other, that he finally uh, had to excuse himself and go into a closet um, uh, upstairs and masturbate. So um, then he, uh, he said he was in the closet and um, he was doing his thing and relieving the pressure that he felt inside. And then all of a sudden he heard the sound of footsteps, but he didn't pay any attention because he was in the closet and nobody was going to find him there. And then all of a sudden, uh, just as he was reaching peak masturbation, um, that he hears a squeak and the door of the closet opens, the light switch flicks on, and his mother uh, is standing there and looks at him. He's holding his dick in his hands and they just stare at each other. And then, you know, probably like a second, but it felt like a year. And then she smashed the door closed. Um, and I don't remember actually if I wrote this part of the story or not, I probably did. Uh, but what happens next is that he's still standing inside the closet with his hand gripped onto his dick and just in pure shock. When another squeak, the door reopens and he doesn't see his mother, he just sees her hand as she reaches out with a piece of pie on a plate and says, I, I, I just thought you might like some dessert. It's your favorite. And that was the beginning of Wanker. That story lived and breathed inside of me. Um, and I eventually wrote it into a film, a sort of medium length uh, film, and we made it for z zero money. Just, you know, we had, we had our, our microphone was attached to, you know, people in the film biz will know a boom pole. It's a pole that holds the microphone and keeps it, helps to keep it steady. We used like a mop, you know, just to give you- So a it wasn't a boom, it was a broom pole. It was a broom pole, exactly. and. Uh, so yeah, so that was uh, that was the type of you know super indie production it was, 
And somehow, um, by the grace of human beings, we got what we needed. I was able to finish the film, edit it. We got the, everything done. You know, a, you know, a huge collective of people doing things here and there. And uh, we premiered the film at the New Orleans uh, Film and Video Festival. And, um, and then we won an award at the Chicago Film Festival. And uh, uh, the, the main uh, English language film critic in Montreal saw the film, loved it, and really called it one of the 10 best films of the year and really started to herald it. And so it became a kind of small sleeper hit. Um, in the independent world at a time when um, masturbation was really not talked about a lot. So um, it was a bit of a, a thing. And remind me when it came out? I don't remember. In the 90s? Mm -hmm. no, I'm terrible yeah. with dates. Yeah. Well, it just it situates the, the period, uh, yes. if you will. Yes, yes. But I remember that, I don't know if you ever watched the comedy Seinfeld, but it was a huge hit, you know, for many years. And they had done a sort of notorious uh, um, episode where they talked about masturbation, but never used the word. Yeah. Um, so it, it became really kind of famous. And that was probably, you know, within the same year. Well, you know, it or something like that. That was how it was exactly. referred to, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're doing it <clears throat> you're doing what mm, everybody does or really <laughs> most people do and in fact one of the things that was so amazing about wanker is how so many so many men would come up to me after screening young guys you know and say oh my god that's me well it does speak to obviously the cultural elements on the one hand the sort of buttoned up don't express yourself kind of generation as well and on the other side, the more expressive, because uh, those are two types, if you will, not necessarily Jew and, and Protestant, but that that one is about the burning, the fire, the, the, the way you have always been. And the other is the idea of, you know, buttoned down and not expressive and, and the angst that that causes. But it, I mean, there's no perfect recipe, but it does seem to be a uh, a lingering feeling for me today where we... Uh, there's so many things we shouldn't say or can't say. And mm. so where the where it used to be self-imposed is now societally imposed in terms of the vocabulary and the, the freedoms of expression. Mm. And there's good things in that, but there are countervailing elements to it where people don't feel the, the right or the liberty to, to think things. You can sort of, well, you can think it in your space, in your private spide, but not out loud. And I think it's created another type of vacuum in our society. Yeah, I mean, those, those are great points. And I would agree with you on that. Personally, you know, I'm a believer in freedom of speech, obviously, but, um, you know, I need to think about it a little more before making like a super heavy public statement. But I would say off the top of my head that I believe in respect and kindness even more so free to say what you think and what you feel but under the umbrella of respect um, because when we are disrespectful we you know we kind of court disrespect so mm. there's a gray zone in there and, there's a gray and, and, and yes of course there always is yeah yeah 
context counts. Yes. So um, one of the things that I, I know about you is your writing. And uh, you had this wonderful blog that was very much an expression of you, your Jewish heritage, things that make you um, get all riled up. It hmm. was called Burns the Fire. So tell us about that journey and what it was like to blog so in such a raw fashion. Huh. Well, at that point, uh, I was moving away from the film business because the frustration of how much time and how many people and how much money, it was just driving me crazy and I needed something more direct. Um, and Burns the Fire was born out of that frustration and that need to communicate and not just communicate from I mean, that I've always had a need to express, but a need also to exchange um, and a need to feel, you know, to go outside my bubble and feel part of the greater whole. And the blog afforded me that. Um, it was uh, tremendously fun and even though I haven't blogged in a, in a couple of years I plan on bringing it back uh, very soon actually um, it was great fun and it was also deeply painful because I up until then had only written fiction uh, I made things up uh, and um, uh, it was I found very painful to write in my own voice like that you know uh, from my own heart uh, so that's, you know, so it was hard and I labored over it. Um, but at the same time, it was enormously exciting. And I learned so much, uh, first of all, about the blogosphere and about sort of living online. Um, and, and, and more deep to me was different ways of communicating and telling stories. So really through blogging, I learned how to tell stories in the 21st century. Hmm. There's an interesting element of the arm's length of fiction, isn't there? Yes, very much so. Yes. And I never, you know, <laughs> I was I was pretty naive in those days, I think, in the sense of not really understanding how much of me went into my fiction, mm -hmm. uh, how much of me, my life, my observations, everything. But, you know, I just, um, you know, people often call me a visionary and I have had tremendous difficulty with it up until now because last week I had a little bit of a revelation and I realized indeed I am a visionary and the reason why I'm a visionary is because I have a vision of a better world where people can be happier, healthier, more loving, more interconnected and so that is really the drive um beneath everything that i do is somehow for some reason and sometimes it's a burden <laughs> um, but lots of times it just it keeps me going it keeps my fire burning that somehow i believe in us i believe in the power of our hearts our souls our minds our abilities i believe in you know in the outrageous beauty of the world would you call that oneness? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, I would. I don't go around calling it oneness, but I would. You know, it's that interconnection. It's that interconnection. And I find that when I was very young, I didn't feel it. And the older I get, the more I feel it. So 
let's move on to your what well, we we you and I reconnected in this particular initiative. So you're the founder and creator, creative director of the village. The village. Um, well, the latest, simplest way of expressing it is that at the village, so what happens there is we gather all over the world to share our stories and grow closer together. Um, the, the village is a what I call a human and a media platform. And um, the two main pillars of it are live and virtual, but right now we're focused on the virtual and building the virtual village, gatherings where people share their stories um, with the help and inspiration of a talented, trained host. Um, these are kind of what I call transformative experiences, something very, very deep um, and touching and powerful happens when people come together and share the stories of their lives. And I grew to realize through doing this live in a cafe where the whole thing was born, where I started a group, because I had met so many interesting people when I spent time blogging in this cafe that I realized, my God, I, I want more. I want more people to sharing stories. And I think other people need to hear this as well. And what I didn't put together at the time, that it wasn't just that other people needed to hear each other's stories, but that other people needed to tell stories as well. Um, and that's sort of what makes it a little bit different from a lot of the storytelling um, platforms that are out there, is that everybody there is taking a risk. We're all sharing stories. We're all listening. We are interconnecting. And as we listen and as we share, um, something kind of magical happens. And we go from being alone to being part of the greater whole to being part of the collective. You can walk into one of these experiences, a stranger to everyone, everybody there is a stranger to you, and an hour or two later, you can walk out and feel connected to each other. As well, I consider it to be something I call transformative experience, uh, sorry, transformative entertainment, because as a filmmaker and as a writer, I realize this is next level what we're doing here, because we're, you know, yes, there were, you know, we're creative and we're sharing, but we're actually making a movie together and it's happening live. I'm no longer the filmmaker separate from the experience, recording the experience. I'm actually part of the experience. I'm in it and we are weaving something together live. And what we are really re weaving together is the story of humanity and what I call a celebration of humanity. So that's one pillar of the village. And then the other pillar is the media platform where we take the, you know, the vast majority of the groups that we will be creating under the banner of the village will not be recorded. But for those who are interested in not only having the experience, but helping to create this transformative entertainment for others, these people uh, will join these groups that will be recorded and then turned into 
podcasts, web series, and and the latest uh, the latest uh, vi- you know vision of uh, this media platform, and that is what I'm calling uh, a call to care or a social impact campaign, because I ended up uh, hosting storytime gatherings for an amazing decentralized global organization called Ukraine Now. Um, you know, a little bit into the invasion of Ukraine. And I hosted 18 gatherings with people of all walks of life from all over the world who came together under the banner of Ukraine now to help the Ukrainian people in any way they could. So they took me on to host these gatherings. And these gatherings were recorded. And these gatherings, while while everybody was there for something unbelievably devastating, like an invasion, um, uh, the, the gatherings were incredibly uplifting because suddenly we were all together sharing this desire to be in service to each other. And it was really, really powerful. So I realized, oh my God, there's something here. And I partnered up with Ukraine now. We at the village partnered up with Ukraine now and decided to create what we call Hearts of Ukraine, um, this call to care. So we're now, we just started a very sort of soft launch releasing with a very lean team at the village because we're just just starting and haven't even started fundraising yet but the imperative of what's going on in ukraine made us want to release these videos and they're 25 to 80 seconds long bite-sized and focused on the heart focused on sharing with people the power of people helping people and then the, grat- the immense gratitude of the Ukrainian people who are feeling this um, outpouring of global support. Have you ever found yourself scrolling through financial news and wondering, how does any of this affect me? How can I read a major headline and truly understand what impact that has on not only my portfolio, but my life? Well, our goal on the podcast Inside the Street, hosted by Wall Street analyst Sela Shifre Partners, is to provide public investors and young professionals with a deeper understanding of the mechanics that drive those major headlines. And what better way to dive into these mechanics than hosting Wall Street analysts themselves to discuss the newest trends in finance firsthand? Well, on our show, we bring you real perspectives from the front line. Hearing these analysts give commentary has made our listeners much more well-versed on the financial markets. This approach to discussion allows our listeners to engage in conversation with much more educated opinions and predictions. So be sure to check out our show, Inside the Street, wherever you find your podcasts. A lot in there. I know. I'm sorry, Mitter. I'm supposed to talk in shorter sentences, but you're not supposed to do anything. My cup runneth over. Indeed. Um, So I wanted to go back to something I feel is important. You write that you enjoy digital storytelling. And I was just wondering what is the particularity of digital in storytelling? as opposed to, I don't know, traditional storytelling. How how does, I want to, we'll get, we're going to get into the rest in a moment, but how is digital make storytelling different or what is the particularity of it? Oh God. I mean, it's a great question. And I would say, nobody's ever asked me. Um, And I would say it's everything Uh, for someone like me. 
uh, because you have words and you have images uh, created or you, and you have photography and you have live action video and you have animation and you have CGI, computer generated images, you have music, you have sound, you have every tool um, except the tactile um, at your disposal. And I find that enormously exciting. I have yet, you know, following the New York Times, for example, they I've seen them do some interesting things in terms of digital storytelling, but I'm not, I haven't seen enough to say that it's really, and it's interactive. Oh, let's not forget interactive. Um, you know, I haven't seen a lot of stuff that I think really, you really uses what it will be able to do you know it's getting there it's getting there but it's just it's unlimited you know well indeed and, and the reason why i wanted to start with that is that the way you recounted the way you're creating the village it does lead me to think it's sort of some kind of initial metaversian idea metaverse which is sort of a hot topic but and nobody really knows what the hell it is and when it's going to start. But this idea of being filmmaker and filmed at the same time kind of feels like a description of the metaverse where you are both observer and participant uh, through digital lenses. Right, right. That's a great point. Um, you know, I don't know a whole lot, like most of us, about the metaverse, but, you know, there's some things about it that really excite me um, as an artist, but there's also some things about it that scare me, just like the internet, you know, that this, you know, my, my deepest concerns these days are very much the heart, soul, and psyche of we humans, and I think we are you know, um, there's a lot of amazing things going on in this world. And oh boy, do I hope that we're part, you know, experiencing what some call the great transition or the great transformation. But I, in the meantime, I'm seriously concerned about our mental and emotional health and spiritual psychic health. And um, I feel like some aspects of the metaverse you know, and, and, and the characters that we can create, even the use of avatars for me is worrisome um, because it sort of detaches us more and more um, from our tactile humanity. I'm worried about that. And here I am, an artist on the internet, you know, I mean, I love it. I love the internet and I love video conferencing and I'm interested in VR and AR and all of what it holds in store. But I, I haven't yet been, you know, I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid yet. Mm. And I might, you know, but I might not. I just worry about our hearts and I worry about our disconnection from each other. And that's well, part of what drives me at the village is to yeah. connect us together. I mean, certainly the digital tools allow for some exceptionally different angles, connection around the world. And yet, to put maybe allay some of the fears at some level, these types of expressions of I'm worried about our humanity have been going on for quite a long time. I mean, every generation basically has the same idea, looking at technology from a distance, whether it was the telegram, 
that's going to put the horse out of business, the the telephone, the television, and and so on and so forth. And every time the the generation sort of let's say welcoming it in as the older version and looks at it, so oh, it's going to be bad for humanity. And we, yet we've always had masks, whether you're in Vienna, Venice, or um, wearing an avatar today. I, I think that the mask is, is a reality of our human condition in a social environment. And the, the one who is a hundred percent authentic and, and naked uh, doesn't, doesn't really survive well in our society. And I don't blame society for that, but I think that is, that's just our, the way we are. Yeah. I mean, all the world's a stage, right? I'm sure you're, that's part of what you're saying. Um, and, and I agree with you, except for one major caveat, and that is the climate emergency, which is a huge driving force for me behind the village. Um, we have not dealt with, yes, we've been dealing with climate for, you know, m you know, many, many decades. We've been aware of it, uh, but not like today, not like today. I, I really feel that it's an ex existential threat, uh, that we have never experienced. You can say, well, <clears throat> you know, nuclear, um, so maybe, but this is just like everywhere and, I just think that it's a game changer. And I also think, and I don't, you know, I haven't given it enough thought here. The point I'm about to make is that where technology is concerned, it's just like with AI, it's just, you know, what many call progress is exponential. I don't have a, I mean, I'm not brainy enough to talk about like exponential and infinity put those two together it's just like growing it just keeps the it just keeps topping itself you know so things are moving faster and faster and faster and i'm not saying stop stop developing the work i'm just saying stay grounded and aware and each of us has to find our way to find balance you know both individually and and societally, let alone globally now, because we are connected in a way that we never have been in history. Well, I would argue uh, that that the therein is the rub, because I I feel that the global design, globalization, is uh, there's some underpinnings that are being undone. We stray. I wanted yeah. to. Um, get back to a, a very important point for me which is the idea of being a host so i uh, would love for you to explain to us i think these are transferable skills or at least the skills that people need to be thinking about what does it take to be a host in the type of environment where you're bringing in strangers and having them tell stories how do you host such a thing mm. And it's a great question from a great host mentor because uh, I remember your dinner parties, which were massively inspiring to me, and no doubt part of my influence. Uh, you know that you you guys influenced you and Yandy influenced me. Um, so the first thing that pops into my mind is a, to be a great host requires a willingness to share your heart to be vulnerable, 
to make suggestions that might make some people uncomfortable, um, but will, generally speaking, delight the crowd. Um, you got to be willing to go out on a limb. And you also, to be a great host, I think, is to be a great listener. And that's something at our storytime gatherings at the village that it's, it's, a, it's a real skill that is developed, is to really listen. Um, and even if you can't, to observe yourself struggling to listen. Hmm. Uh, and I think that listening actually is an you know, incredibly important tool. So we can really hear each other and really feel each other. And then we can connect. So I think those are some of the attributes of great host. And, and I'll tell you a little story that I, you know, I've told to so few people. And that is that one of the part of the genesis of the village um, was way before I was blogging in a cafe and started a storytelling group. And that was I was living in a tiny apartment and I was having some friends over because I always love to have people over. And these were wonderful people and we were sitting around having a nice dinner party, eating nice food. And I started to feel bored. And I remember I thought, oh, I'm bored. This is like, I felt restless. I was like, I love these people. They're all brilliant, amazing people. Why am I bored? And it struck me that maybe I should ask a question of every, the same question of everybody there and see what happens. And maybe that could help us come together as a group. I think we were like six or eight people. So the first question that popped in my mind was, well, how did you lose your virginity? And I suggested it. A couple of people were like, what? Are you, what are you talking about? I'm like, let's try it. Let's try I'm, it. I'm still a virgin. <laughs> you lie so beautifully, Minter. Um, uh, so that actually completely changed the evening. And of course, I had to start. And I told the story. And that, my telling the story, gave permission to the others to tell the story. And, you know, and then once people start telling stories and there's a sense of kind of a free flow, warm, exciting, crackling environment, people are really listening. And then things are awoken, awakened in them. Um, oh, somebody just said, said a detail. Oh, well, that makes me realize I could tell this. And so we start to weave together through listening and being affected by what we're saying to each other. And then suddenly this one story coupled with another, with another, with another becomes a much bigger story than each individual. It becomes, again, the story of humanity. Well, it, it, it ends up being an experience that everybody, all those eight people will remember. And, and just to dissect what you just said for me, you, you asked a question. I, then you, as host, showed the unbounded, or un, or, you know, let's say breaking down the boundaries with a question that was a little provocative, out of the norm, and, and exposing then after yourself to allow people to fall in behind. And, and I, I do think that you know, the idea of the boring dinner party, my golly gosh, uh, that's part of the kind of problem that I was referring to at the very beginning, 
where we have a protocol of what we're allowed to say. We have boundaries that are fixed. And, and when you talk about virginity, of course, let's say we could trigger people who are worried about sex. So there's always a risk when you go outside of the boundaries that are allowed. We're not supposed to talk about sex, religion, and politics at dinner, but there you go into one of the, you know, verboten triad. And, and, it, and it's a wonderful thing. And so I can only applaud that idea of being a host who's able, has the courage to ask a, a more thistly question out of the ordinary, because that'll spark. So when you, one of the, um, the issues I have in, in storytelling is that some stories are better than others. And some people are better at telling stories. And, and I feel like if, if you come in behind someone who's just had a bomb landed in Kharkiv uh, on their house and, and you have to go after them, you know, well, my problem is look at my pinky. It's a little broken and uh, no big deal. So the pathos, the, the, the weight of stories sometimes can overbear others who aren't quite as comfortable or feel that their stories aren't really quite as worthwhile. How do, how do you manage that as a host? I am so enjoying your questions. Um, hmm. You know, terrific points. Absolutely. Um, a few things, you know, come up for me. One is, and, and I think strangely, story time in the virtual setting is a little bit more formal than story time when you're in real life. Mm. Yeah, you got the you had the, the the wine, the drink, the little pause, and the tinkle of the glasses and tableware. That's and you feel each other, you smell each other. Oh, it's completely yeah, it's completely different. But I I I don't try I don't compare them too much. I mean, I love story time online. I love it. I love hosting it, and I loved it in in real life too. Now I'm very hooked on the online at the moment, but. Um, you know, there's a kind of grace that establishes itself. I always say, um, and I haven't released this video yet, that of me talking about an open heart. And I always say, an open heart opens hearts. And that helps to create a kind of grace and what i have experienced often is that if somebody tells a blockbuster epic story that is impossible to match um and in the moment nobody wants to actually try to match that story because it just takes its space and it is its own entity but naturally what tends to come after that is somebody saying um, that was so amazing. I can't match it. Here's a little story. Mm -hmm. And actually the little story. And I, I tend to, you know, I often say to people when, when sharing a topic, so there's a topic around story time and stories of whatever the topic is. And, 
And I always tell people like you can tell because people tend to think, oh, if I'm going to tell a story of family or friendship or love or forgiveness or, you know, ecstasy or whatever, I've got to find something huge and dramatic and colorful. And, and I, I, I will tell you, my personal favorites tend to be the what I'll call the smaller, quieter stories, but that reveal us in our deep, tender humanity. Um, it's, I remember a woman, an older woman coming to one of the early um, gatherings of story time and she started when I said, who wants to go next? She kind of like stuck up her, her finger and said, okay, and she was very meek and she started and she said, I'm really a very ordinary person. And I remember the moment that she said that and I thought, ah, I, this woman, this woman, I don't know what she's going to tell us, but this woman. When you scratch every human being, you're going to find stories of interest, whether they're, they, they may not be that well told and to address your question about like, well, what happens when somebody's not a great storyteller? Couple of things. One, we try, the, it, it really is, you know, part of the host's job to encourage people to keep their stories down to a certain length. Um, encourage people to, to stay on topic. These are not storytelling workshops. These are not how to tell stories, but you learn by listening. You learn by sharing. It's experiential learning um, if you're interested in becoming a, a better storyteller and coming to story time. And I find that given the heart that flows through these experiences, people have more patience for people who aren't as good. And then people who aren't as good, who come back, tend to be better. And we don't always tell great stories, you know. I sometimes, I'll tell the same story and I'll do a shitty job, you know. I have to be f fully present. And indeed, one of the things that I learned from a very young trans man who came for years to story time. Um, he was so brilliant, man. He would, before he even started to tell a story, he, everybody would be, we'd, it's, it's his turn. We'd be looking at him waiting and he would pause. Instead of jumping like most of us do, you know. So we learn from each other and, you know, instead of speeding up, stop. If you find yourself going off, stop. That we, you know, all of this stuff, it's a work in progress. We are works in progress. But it is certainly my observation that the more you tell a story, the better you get at telling and the more you tell stories in general. And there are some people who are natural born storytellers. So in, in our world of disconnection, the 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 notion of a story begetting a story is so clear to me and i love it and it makes me think about how when someone is telling a story it pops into your mind oh that reminds me of my story which is the way to connect into the story but what we tend to do is start now thinking of my story yes and and rather than pause like the span you're telling us about or maybe even asking a question to go further into the other person's story. We sort of jump to our story. 
And so I feel like this notion of a pause or or at least stay with the other person's story before rabbit hole or you know monkey brain jump into my because it's all about me after all. And, and and that's the funny thing about stories because they do have that sort of ignition component to ignite other people's imagination and or memories, which is the beautiful thing of storytelling. However, you know, listen in. Yes. Yeah, I know you're just pointing out, you know, all of our, you know, uh, tenderness and uh, vulnerability, really. Again, it's a practice. It's an experience. Um, I, you know, yes, me, me, me. But that's one of the things that story time at the village naturally addresses. Um, you come in as me, you leave as us. Mm. And you may not be listening as brilliantly as you'd like to, but it's something that you can learn, especially, and here's part of the secret sauce. So one aspect is an open heart opens hearts. And another aspect is when we feel seen and heard, we feel loved. And when we feel loved, we want to share that love. So therefore, we become more generous to others. We listen better and we start to care more, not just about ourselves, but about each other. And that is incredibly powerful and transformative. And to me, inspiring care in people and connection in people and creativity in people through our own stories, what we have the easiest access to, uh, can help change the world, can help teach us to learn to, to work together, can help bridge the divide that is, you know, that is destroying us. Yeah, and, and also when you start telling a story of your, you know, like you burn the fire kind of personal story. If you've never said it before, the very act of of telling it in public is structuring and helps you to maybe come to grips with it because you're talking about the baggage that we have at the beginning. Brenda, wonderful, fun chat with you. Let us let everybody know how they can dig into any of these the village participate ukraine now tell us uh tell us where the top priorities are if anyone is listening is inspired by this how they can help or just attend participate whatever thank you minter okay here we go um i'm gonna note help. everything down help help we need help um we definitely need help we um are we need people to work on the village we need people to volunteer village we need people who are interested in being hosts we are in people who are interested in uh coming and sharing and experiencing the village um, right now we have our first ideation of the website up we haven't built the app yet the website uh url is thevillageearth.com thevillageearth.com. We have opened up social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, and TikTok, where it seems to be doing the best. We have yet to start promoting uh, or even engaging on social media. So this is 
very, very, very beginning. We're just babies out there, but please come visit us. It may not be that easy always to find us because of the village is, you know, quite a common term. Um, but just look on all of those platforms and find, please find us or go to the website, thevillageearth.com, and it will uh, give you a link to our link tree so you can follow us on, on, uh, on social media. And please do, if you're interested in um, um, donating or investing in the village, please reach out to us through social media or at info at thevillageearth.com. Dot com. So any queries about any ways in which you can help, you can send to info at thevillageearth.com. We would love you, to hear from you. What about Ukraine now? What link would that Ukraine be? now? Yes, it's all over our social media. You can get to their, uh, thank you for asking. You can get to their website is ukrainenow.org. So ukrainenow.org org um you can it's very very simple when you get on their website you can see volunteer donate click the button amazing people not only you know uh, Artur Kilian, who is the uh, ukrainian born uh he lives in los angeles he is a serial entrepreneur he this is his second uh amazing decentralized global organization where he brings people all over the world together to help each other. And that's the story. How can we do this? That's the uplift. That's the inspiration. It is really amazing, amazing to be a part of it. And I invite you all to join. That was Russian. I don't know if it's Ukrainian as well, but uh, hey, Brenda. Hey, Major. Merci, merci. So fun to listen to you, your lovely voice and your great initiatives. So. A bientôt, j'espère. Moi aussi, j'espère. Thank you so much, Minter, and keep up the amazing work. And uh, you, you guys could just teach the world how to gather. So keep, keep sharing. Thanks for having listened to this episode of the Minter Dialogue podcast. If you like the show and would like to support me, please consider a donation on patreon.com forward slash Dialogue. You can also subscribe on your favorite podcast service. And as ever, rating and reviews are the real currency for podcasts. You'll find the show notes with over 2,000 and more blog posts on mintodile.com. Check out my documentary film and four books, including my last one, You Lead, How Being Yourself Makes You a Better Leader. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man.
and I suffered a convinced man in the arms of a woman. I'm a convinced man, challenge my fate. I'm a convinced man, competition's innate. A convinced man in the arms of a woman. Revenges and struggle with deceit Live for the challenge so life's not incomplete What's wrong with challenge? I know soon we all die I like the feel of a stranger Tucked around me Precipitating the danger To feel free Trust in my reason And let me show you why I'm a convinced man, practicing my lines. I'm a convinced man, hearing these confines. A convinced man, in the arms of a woman. I'm a convinced man, bit to the test. I'm a convinced man. I'm ready for an arrest. of a This is Gary Chachot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, 
the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.